Turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 25. Well, if you are familiar with 20th century great characters, notable names, most likely you've come across the guy by the name of Howard Hughes Jr. Uh, When he was alive, he was one of the wealthiest men in the world. He made just a ton of money. It seemed like what he touched just kind of turned to gold. He was involved in the oil business. He was involved in entertainment as director, film producer. He was also very involved in the aviation industry. And it, he made just millions and millions of dollars. In fact, he, was, he had had billions actually collected, especially in the latter part of his life. And you would think that a guy who had all these resources, why he would be spending his years in the lap of luxury. He'd be kind of like the guy you'd imagine sitting by a real nice pool with some sort of little lemonade drink with a little umbrella on there. And he's just kind of sitting and just enjoying life, right? Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Howard Hughes Jr. really kind of became the poster boy of a person who was completely stressed out. A person who was just had anxiety about everything in life. He was so eccentric that he developed patterns where in his life where he was absolutely convinced that people were out to get him. And so the last several decades of his life, what he would do is he'd actually rent out hotels. He would rent out several floors and he would just stay in them and he would rarely leave. In fact, there are different times where he would just lock himself in a room and no one, it doesn't matter who you were, could even get close to him. He just lived kind of a rather reclusive life. And in the few times that he actually did emerge, he would insist that his driver would no, go no faster than 35 miles an hour because he was so paranoid that he'd be involved in a wreck. And if they were going over any bumps or there was an uneven part of the road or they're going to cross railroad tracks, he insisted that his driver would only go two miles an hour because he was so fearful of dying. Anxiety, worry dominated his life. Now, when I speak of the subject of anxiety or worry, I don't think there's a person in here going like, what's he talking about? What is that? Stressed out. Actually, Every single person in this room experiences stress, anxiety, and worry. Dr. Gary Collins said that worry is the official emotion of our age. It defines us and it describes us. Now, let's, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork here. There is nothing wrong with thinking through things and being concerned and aware that there are certain things going to be taking place. I mean... Frankly, there's probably a few of us in this room that actually need to be more concerned about different things, okay? And no wives, don't be bumping your husband in the ribs or anything like that. Like, yeah, pay attention. Why don't you be worried about something? You know what I'm saying? But for the most of us, worry is consuming us. It is driving us to despair. It is leading to stress, emotional breakdown, despair, perhaps even death itself. And potential anxiety exists everywhere. I mean, you can't escape it. Your health, children, grandchildren, jobs, your career, the wars that are going on in this world, Japan, nuclear dumping. It seems like everywhere we turn, you could find something to be stressed out about. Journalists make a living keeping you on edge and stressed out so you'll buy the next newspaper 
or go and pick up their magazine. It's just like, you've got to know about this because this could be the end of your life. And we live in this. We don't know hardly anything beyond that. And now that we've got the Internet, we have Internet news, and, and some of us are carrying these little iPhones, and we just pick this up and, like, it's just you push the button, and it's automatically bad news. If you don't know that, let me just tell you. You push that little button to go news, international news, world news, U.S. news. It's not going to be, hey, some awesome things are happening. No, the economy's falling apart. The government's shutting down. No one get along. You can't trust anybody. And so we live in this world. We're just bombarded by stressful activity and, and things that are just consuming us. And let me just tell you, some of us are like magnets for stress. It's like we're just always looking for the next thing to be stressed out about, and we are good at it. In fact, there are some people, they don't know any other way to live other than to be stressed out. And if they find themselves with a few moments of relief or they're actually genuinely happy for a few minutes, they're like, oh, something's wrong, something bad is going to happen, you know, and then they like look for it, and they're going to find it. And if they can't find it, they'll create it. Let me just tell you, there's some different causes for anxiety. I mean, first of all, there's the fear of the future. You don't know what is going to happen tomorrow, and so what happens is you just get overwhelmed. Kind of processing, well, if all that radiation makes it from Japan, it'll go to the United States, it'll hit our food, and pretty soon we're all going to be dead. This is it. This is our last year. Or the wars or our terrorists. I mean, these are very real threats, and we can be fearful of the future. We can worry about elections. We can worry about our government. We can worry about our health. And then there's not only the fear of the future, but there is just this conflict in the present. Just eating us up, tearing us up. You're, you've got a divided mind. You're, you're just consumed by the things of this life, okay? Whether it be your finances, relationships, relationship breakdown. And let me give you another area that just really stresses a lot of people out. It's regret over the past. There are some people that are continually living over some significantly bad, sinful decisions that they made. And just play it over in our mind. They're like, oh, if I could just live that relationship over again or that situation or that investment. And they just play it over and they just work themselves into this vortex of emotional, psychological pain. Now, every one of us is very familiar with anxiety. You need to know that everyone you're sitting next to is very accustomed to stress, anxiety, worry. Like in 2007, the American Psychological Association did a lot of research on this. Okay, one out of two people. So if it's not you, then it's the person next to you, lies awake at night because of stress. Their figure found that 48% of Americans report lying awake at night due to stress in their life. If I said, show of hands, anybody this last month lose sleep over stress, you know, now don't, but pretty much I think everybody's hand would go... I, I, that was me. I found myself waking up at four in the morning and I'm processing these thoughts. And what does this look like? Let me just give you some of the, the psychological implications of this. Fifty uh, percent of people express stress by being irritable or angry. Sound familiar? OK, don't look at anybody like I told you. Oh, it's good we're in church today. Look at this. Uh, uh, well, 45% of people express their stress by just feeling nervous. Just, <gasps> their legs are shaking, their hands are shaking, they're just nervous, man. They're sweating all the time. Uh, 45% a percent, uh, say that they experience a lack of energy. And fi- 35%, it's this kind of this just feeling. It's almost an overwhelming feeling. You could just, 
just break down and cry. And, and there's really not a reason for it. It's just it's heavy. You're stressed. You feel like you're just kind of emotionally fragmenting, and you, and you just feel like, I could just start crying. And it really wouldn't take anything to trigger that. Now, it's really interesting. As we've been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew, what did Jesus just get done talking about? We talked about it all last week. Did anybody remember? Yikes. Okay. Anybody? That's right. He talked about money and God. And guess what? You can only have one master. It's either going to be financial resources and materialism, or it's going to be God, but you can't serve both. You're going to have to have one God. You know, the reason that I think that Jesus follows his statements about wealth and materialism followed by anxiety is this. Materialism breeds worry. The more you have, the more you start stressing about all your stuff that's breaking down and what could happen to it. And, and it's, it, it just owns you. That's why Jesus said it's very hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven because wealth has tentacles. It is consuming. It, it just grabs you. And you get worried about what you're going to do with it and how you can make more of it and how you're going to prevent yourself from losing it and who's going to take it away and is the government on this or me? And, and all of a sudden you just become consumed by it. Let me give you a couple quotes. W.H. Vanderbilt once said, The care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Or Andrew Carnegie, remember that guy, very wealthy man? He said this, quote, millionaires seldom smile. Why? Because materialism breeds worry. And so to keep this all in context, Jesus just got done saying what? You're going to be devoted to someone or something. Verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to to one and despise the other but you cannot serve god and wealth and so what he's saying is be devoted to god the people that were coming to jesus were those who were following him they were his disciples and he says find your devotion to me and now he is going to talk about anxiety and stress he's going to highlight too that people stress out about what they're eating and what they're wearing But really, he is giving a principle, just like he is throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He is giving examples and he's giving illustrations, but there are broader principles. It's not just, well, I just can't be worried about my food and clothing, but everything else, like where I live or do I have a house or do I have relationships? I don't have to stress. I can stress about those things. No, he's giving us a principle that we need not worry because our father cares for us. Now, he's going to say three different times, he's going to give it a command, and he's going to say, do not be worried. You can find it in verse 25. You can see it there in verse 31 and also in verse 34. He's saying, do not worry. And why is Jesus making such a big deal about us being all stressed out all the time? Well, I want you to follow what he says. In fact, Jesus just kind of starts highlighting six reasons why worry does not need to consume those who walk with God. Let me give you the first one. Life is more than your daily needs. Look what Jesus says. Verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Did you hear what he just said? He said, do not. Or it literally could, it says this. Stop being worried about your life. Stop doing it. It's a pattern that is occurring in your life. Stop. Stop being worried about your life as to what you will eat and what you will drink. For your 
nor for your body as to what it will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, Jesus says, first of all, life is more than food. For some of you, this is going to be a minor revelation. Really? I just, I'm always thinking about lunch. Now, this is a genetic family hereditary thing, but there's times where, like, we're eating, like, lunch, and I will just, like, ask Karina, like, hey, what are we having for dinner? And she gives me that look, like, what is going on in there? You know what I'm saying? But I picked this up from my parents and my grandparents. I saw that, and you just always kind of ask me, hey, what's going on? Life is more than food and clothing. Life is actually meant to be lived in relationship with God. Yes, you've got, you got to feed yourself and there's clothes. He's not saying those things are unimportant. It's that they're not to be all-consuming. And so he says, do not be worried about these things. You know what? The, the word worry is, actually comes from an old English root. And what it means is to strangle. Okay? This was the word, like, if you're to strangle something to death, that was this, that's where worry comes from. It is to literally pull you apart, to struggle, to choke. And that is exactly what worry does in our life. It chokes us emotionally, physically, spiritually, intellectually. I mean, let me tell you, if you have patterns of excessive, obsessive worry and stress and anxiety in your life, it affects you in every arena. It affects you, like, physically. I mean, just talk to your doctor. Does distress? Is it? bad most doctors find themselves generally dealing with people who are completely stressed out it creates back aches headaches neck pains uh it can ulcers um it leads to digestion problems it can actually affect your coordination it can emotionally it sends you on a downward spiral spiritually you become disoriented when you're consumed by worry mentally when you are worried and you're experiencing stress this can be shown that your ability to remember and make good, clear decisions and to think clearly is severely hampered when you're living with worry. Now, let me just give you just the facts about worry and stress and all the stuff that's got us all in filled with anxiety. In a book called Sacred, uh, Scared to Life, Douglas Rumford gives these statistics. 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. This is from their research. of the things that you and I are like, guess what? They are totally unfounded. But we have worked ourselves up into a frazzle over it. 20% of the things you're stressed out are already behind us. You can't do anything about it. It's done. You cannot change that. 10% are so petty, they don't really make any difference whatsoever. So of the remaining 10%, 4-5% to are things that you really can't do anything about. There's just nothing you can do about it. And the other, about 5%, those are things that, yes, there's something that you can do about. But what we find ourselves doing is we are turning everything into 10, and we're stressed about everything, when in reality there's about 5% of those things that we really could do anything about. And so, you know what worry does? Worry is like a dense fog that comes over our mind and our heart and even our soul. You know, it's really interesting about fog. Like, for instance, a fog that is 100 feet deep, covering seven city blocks. Do you know how much actual water is in that immense block, all those seven blocks of, of fog? It's the equivalent of one glass of water. A couple gallons of water 
and all those little water particles are all spread out, creating fog, could paralyze a city. And it does. That's what, that is what our worry does. Worry brings about fear, which paralyzes us. It is the antithesis to faith. And Jesus says, do not be worried about your life. Do not be worried. I care about you. I love you. And what happens is worry becomes this dominating effect in our life. It consumes us. And, it, and yes, we can be legitimately concerned. And we will be because we're humans. We're going to process. But when it moves to a point where we're no longer considering God, when it moves to a point where it's debilitating, it's the only thing we're thinking about, it is not only unhealthy, but it is moving to be the exact opposite of what Jesus said when he says, do not worry. Life is more than food and clothing. Life is actually meant to be lived in a trusting, loving relationship with God. Let me give you another reason that Jesus points out why you and I don't need to be stressed out and worried all the time. Look at verse 26. He says, our father cares deeply about us. Look at the birds in the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Now, he says, listen. See those birds? And maybe some birds actually flew by. That would be just like Jesus, always just grabbing things just right there in front of them. And he says, see those birds? You ever see a stressed out bird? Have, have you? Now, I know you see angry birds. You know, someone like, oh, I got it. I have the app. I do. I, I got it. I've seen angry birds, which is a colossal waste of time, but that's beyond the purview of this sermon. But you, you never see stressed out birds. What, what you do see is that God provides for the birds. The birds just aren't laying there on your front yard like, someone feed me, and, and like God's going to just miraculously just rain worms down there. It doesn't work that way, does it? What do the birds do? They're flying around, and they're getting stuff that they need, and they're building their little nests. And yet God, through how he has set up the earth, and, and all the watering, and the grass, and the growth, and seeds, and he, he actually has a system set up, and those birds fly back and forth. They can't find food over here. They go to the neighbor's yard, who is actually watering their yard, and lo and behold, there's stuff. And they, they actually are provided for by their father. What he's saying there is, look at the birds in the air. They are stressed out. And their father is providing for them. God will provide for you. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Like, well, Jesus says I'm not supposed to be worried about food or clothing. So, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and, I don't, and God's going to provide. I am letting go and letting God. I'm just trusting God with all these details. No, that's wrong. That's actually sinful. You need a text for that? Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he says, hey, if you will not work, neither shall you eat. That's kind of how it works. Generally, God provides for his people through the system of work where he actually has economy set up. You work, you do things, you get paid, you have money, you buy bread, you feed yourself, you feed your family, you do services. You have you have perhaps money left over in America. We have plenty left over. You can actually help others. And that's how it works. God works through the normal ways in which he set up. Yes, sometimes he miraculously provides. But he says, I want you to look at the birds in the sky. They're not stressed out. They're just going about and they are trusting. And God provides for them. How much more will God provide for you? Now, what about uh, starving people in these refugee camps in Africa? Or all these street children in these different cities in South America that are going without food? And you know, I was kind of wrestling with that. Well, what about them? 
I mean, God cares about everybody, so why are they hungry? It's a tough question. Let me tell you what I think is going on here, though. Jesus is not teaching that in every case, every person is going to be satisfied with food. Just by the way, if you want just even one further proof of the existence of God, just look at the earth and its ability to produce food. Do you know that we produce way more than enough food for every single person to eat and eat well? It is not a production issue. It is a distribution issue. But there's plenty of food to go around. But he's not teaching that in every case that these people are going to be satisfied with food. But what he is teaching is that our focus is to be on God himself, on the kingdom of heaven. And we're to be channeling our energies not just on what we're eating, but on his kingdom purposes. And let me just tell you that part of God's kingdom purposes is that we will actually have a legitimate, invested care for the poor. Really? Did you remember what he said in Matthew chapter 6, the beginning? In verses 2 through 4, he says, when you give to the poor, he's, not, he's actually assuming we'll do that, that you will care for the marginalized and the poor. And so when you pursue kingdom pursuits, when you develop God's perspective, there is a heart to want to see even the disadvantage provided for. Hence, you have so many Christian missionaries and ministries that are doing just that. They are providing food care in the name and the love of Christ. But you need to remember this. You know why you and I don't have to be stressed out? Our Father cares deeply for us. You're of much greater value than birds. I mean, yes, birds are important. No doubt about it. But you are created in the image of God. You are the one who God has said, I have trusted this to you, dominion over this planet. I am the one. Jesus, Jesus actually came for you, people, not birds. Why? He came to pay the penalty for sin. You were created in God's image. He loves you and he cares for you. You are unique so we don't have to worry about it. Our Father cares deeply about us. Let me give you another reason that Jesus gives in verse 27. Worry cannot change our situation. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Now, can worry make things better? Hmm. Well, we try worry a lot. You'd think that as much that we worry, we oh, that really helps. Jesus says it can't change it one bit. Dr. Charles Mayo of the famous Mayo Clinic made this statement. Worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. You can worry yourself to death, but you cannot bring life from worry. In fact, you might want to think of it this way. Worry can never add to your life, only subtract. And maybe your Bible actually reads that you can't add a cubit. The idea is that you can't add length to your life by being stressed out over what's happening in the present or something in the past or what may happen in the future. In fact, worry always subtracts your life. They've done a lot of studies on this, both like looking at animals like apes and gorillas and studying humans. You're stressed out. You're worried all the time. It, in effect, is going to shorten your life. Let me give you another reason why we don't need to be worried. Look what Jesus says in verse 28 through 30. 
Our Father is in control. Let me just remind you, if God is not in control, we're in a whole heap of trouble. Look what he says. Verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, he's referencing flowers, lilies. They're not like stressed out. How are we going to look beautiful? They they don't even have brains. They don't think that way. And so he's using some imagery here. What he's saying is like, look at how God cares for the lilies of the field. Or if Jesus was walking this earth in in central Texas, and he he sees all those blue bonnets, those Indian paintbrushes. I mean, it is so beautiful. I, I actually understand why Texans pull over to the side of the road and they just stand in front of these fields of blue okay it's absolutely beautiful and he says solomon in all his glory and solomon is really wealthy it actually says that in solomon's time silver was as common as stones he had tremendous wealth people traveled from all over the world to come and see him and all his splendor and the greatness of his kingdom that he had set up in jerusalem and yet it doesn't compare to the lilies in the valley and in the fields here and what he's saying there is that you and I can remember that our Father's in control. And He cares for us. I know that you don't see how it's all going to work out. And yeah, it looks like the, the wheels are coming off the cart and things are going to be just chaos and mind. This is the end. He's saying, we can trust our Father. We are far more important than these lilies that are one day in the field. And then they, what they would do is they'd literally gather all this stuff up. And this would become fuel for their fires. Just burn it. You're a far greater value. You belong to the king. And what it's doing is Jesus is driving home this point. Our faith in God allows us to overcome our fears in life. It is our faith in God that allows us to overcome our fears in life. You and I, when we placed our faith in Christ, you know what? We are God's children. Children are not stressed out. They are thinking their parents are going to provide for them. I mean, it is, it's very sad when you see children that are really stressed out because their parents have just completely neglected them and won't provide for them or treat them like, I wish you didn't exist. Your Heavenly Father, though, is a perfect father. And just like children who trust parents, you know, when your kids are really little, they don't really even think about where the food comes from. They just kind of think that it's going to happen. They don't really process that way. It's just like, I got parents, dad, mom, they're, they're going to provide that. Your father, he's going to care for you. He's in control. Look what he says here. He says, will he not do much more like clothe you, you of little faith? He's going to provide for you. He will clothe you. And he says, you of little faith. Now, this could be a a kind of a, you could use you of little faith like in a condescending way. But in the Gospel of Matthew, I don't think it's ever used that way. It's used five different times. refers to these. It's, it could literally be translated little faith ones. It's more like Jesus putting his arm around an individual and saying, can't you trust your father? You have your, your little faith. It's just kind of like you see a little kid and they're trying, you know, and they're just, they just hardly understand what's going on in life. And you're just like, hey, you're going to make it. You can trust me. That's what Jesus is saying. 
You have a little faith, but just trust him. He is going to provide. And so Jesus is making the point here. We can trust God because our God is in control. Look what he says in verse 31 and 32. Worry actually captivates the unbelievers. Verse 31, he says, do not worry then saying what we will eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing for the Gentiles. Those who do not know God, those apart from God's covenant kingdom, they eagerly seek all these things. You know what? For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And what he's saying is the, the people in the world who do not know God, and that's how they refer to Gentiles, the, the non-Jew, the person outside of God's covenant, they are always seeking after food and clothing because they don't really even know a God who provides. They don't believe that he exists or that he will provide or that he cares. And so for them, it is always the here and now. It is always about food, about materialism, about money, about clothing, about cars, about wealth, about trying to build some sort of earthly security. Howard Hughes would work really good with the Gentile mindset. It's all about what you could collect and get. But you have been emancipated from such a world. You are a child of the king. You've been brought into the kingdom of heaven. You are freed from the domain of darkness. You've been transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son. You and I can live differently because worry captivates the unbeliever. They are consumed by the here and now. We need not be what Jesus is saying in verse 32. He says, your heavenly father, he knows. He knows you need these things like clothing and food. And then he drives home the point, And I'll give you the sixth reason why you and I do not need to be living stressed out lives. Our priority is God's reign in us and our world. I hope that you have a mark or perhaps underlined verse 33. It is one of the key verses of the New Testament. Jesus says this, in contrast to worry, in contrast of living like the Gentiles, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Healthy Christianity is never complacent. It is actively seeking Christ and his kingdom. Now, he is going to give this prescription. And I, I hope you're not just going, oh, I heard that verse. My kids memorized it like 10 years ago or something like that. Jesus says, this is how you live. And if we will not seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, it's the equivalent of like you going to the doctor and saying, oh, I've got this really bad problem. The doctor goes, hey, this is the solution. Do this and live. And you go, I don't want to do that. And so, but then you go on aching and complaining about your problems when you didn't follow through with what the doctor said. We must do this, not just know it, not even have this verse on your T-shirt or on your wall. But he says, literally, seek first, make this a lifestyle pursuit of seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom speaks of Christ's reign in the world, but especially in the lives of those who are his own. Christ is coming back and he is going to have an earthly reign. True believers in Christ are awaiting Christ's return. They, he said, I'm coming back. We believe he is. But Christ is presently reigning in the hearts of those who are yielded to him. Those who are, like he says in verse 24, who have God as their master. We say, Lord, whatever you want, I want you reigning in my hearts, in my responses, in my actions, in my activity, in my planning. He says, seek first 
Christ, his kingdom in our lives, and in our world and his righteousness. Now, this, I think, is really interesting. When Jesus talks about righteousness here, you remember he said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 517. I fulfill all the law and the prophets. Christ establishes perfect righteousness, which he actually puts on our account when you and I believe in him. And so he's saying, think of your identity as one who's united with Christ. And not only is, does Christ actually give us a righteous standing because we're believing in him, but Christ actually intends that you and I will live a righteous life, that there will be right living coming out of our life as a result of our relationship with Christ. And so we want to seek to do as he said. And to keep it in context, one of the very foremost ways of doing that is not living completely stressed out lives all of the time. You know, we're moving in true north when we're truly yielded to Christ. And so he concludes this part of the sermon by saying in verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let me give you a few verses that that I, I would like to challenge you to commit to being very familiar with, if not memorizing. I wish I could say, like, huh, you know, I remember reading this a long time ago after I became a Christian at the University of Oregon. I've never stressed out before. You know, got it down. Not true. I have to I have to work at this. I have to apply myself to what Jesus says. There is no automatic pass. Oh, you're a pastor. You never stress out. Actually, I was less stressed out being in the business world than being a pastor. So let me give you some verses that I find great comfort, consolation, and direction in. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. So important. With thanksgiving, he says, Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ. He will guard you. But you must seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. We must pray and to do so with thanksgiving. And God says he'll give you a peace that doesn't make sense to this world. It is a supernatural peace because it comes from the supernatural one, namely God himself. And let me give you another couple of verses. First Peter chapter five, verses six and seven, where it says, therefore, humble, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. When we feel anxious, burdened, stressed, it is the ongoing response of placing this and giving this to the Lord, pouring it out, telling him about it. And so this is where we will develop confidence in Christ when we will actually do as he said. Now, this does not eliminate planning. Frankly, planning for tomorrow, thinking things through, uh, actually relieves a lot of stress. If you're just kind of going through life blindly, you're, you're probably a very stressed out individual. And a good chunk of it is because you haven't even thought through what you're doing. You're living your life aimlessly, without direction, without purpose. We want to think things through. Careful planning, setting goals, kind of thinking through the steps of what you do. And to do so with prayer is really the path of wisdom. 
But you don't want to come to a point where you're just worried and consumed, where you come to a point where you can't even function anymore. That's what Jesus is addressing. He's not saying you don't plan. What he's saying is you don't live in a continual state of fervent, ferocious worry that consumes you. So how in the world do we trust God in the midst of troublesome circumstances? How do we do this? And I want you to know that like this weekend, what I'm telling you, I've had to put into direct play. This isn't just like, ah, theory, thanks for a nice little message. I want you to know this book and my relationship with Christ, it is life for me. Because I love you, I want God's very best for you. I want what Jesus has to say to be a reality by the power of his spirit. I just want to give you just some very simple principles to follow. First of all, one of the things we must keep doing is renewing our mind with truth. You have to continually renew your mind with what is really true about God, life, about the realities of living here. Because it's like we develop spiritual amnesia. And you can pick it up about the time you walk out those doors and forgot everything that Jesus just had to say here. We have to continually renew our mind with truth about God, about his control, about his loving care. You might have to read these verses over and over. One of the doctors in our church who's here today sent me an email saying he has been focusing on this passage. We have to renew our mind on truth. Worry, though, wants to reject this. It wants you to just think like you can figure it out. And frankly, living a life of continual worry kind of makes it look like you think you're God. Like somehow your worry is going to get it all figured out. Is that working? How's that working for you? It doesn't, does it? And so we need to renew our mind with truth, what God has said in his word. And let me also tell you this. Renew your mind with God's faithfulness in your life. I mean, look at it. You're here today. Can you believe that? Think of some of the jams you've been in. And today, maybe just barely, but today your head is above water and you're breathing. And God made it through, whether it be that marital problem, or that financial crisis or that, oh, that issue with the, the, our kid or, or that person that was just all upset at you and turning your life into chaos and trying to tear you up. Think of all the times that God's been faithful to you. And that's what God wants us to do. Worry creates spiritual amnesia, but do not forget God and his faithfulness and his love for you. I mean, think of it when you read the scriptures. Much of what is recorded is to remind us, whether it be the people of Israel or you look at guys like Daniel or Jonah or Joseph or Naomi or Ruth or Esther. These people, their lives, their great stress, and yet their trust in God to remind us what? Our God is faithful and we can trust him. When the stock market crashed in 1929, there are a lot of people, their, their lives just completely fell apart. One of those guys by the name of J.C. Penney. He was completely overwhelmed. He lost almost all of his material assets. He was so stressed out when anxiety set in that he became physically ill to the point where they had to hospitalize this guy, and they didn't know if he was going to make it. J.C. Penney, on his own account, said one time he fell asleep and he actually thought he had died. But when he woke up, he, he realized that he wasn't dead, and he's like, I'm, I'm alive. So he started walking down the corridor of the hospital, and he heard people singing. He walks by this chapel, 
And there was all these people gathered in this chapel, in this hospital, and they're singing these words. God will take care of you through every day, over all the way. He was, he was so drawn to what they were saying. He, he made his way in there and he listened to their prayers, to the singing and the scriptures being read. And what it did is it gave him hope in God and not his circumstances. And friends, you and I can't live without hope. We have to move beyond the horizontal to where we have a vertical hope fixed upon God or else it will consume you. There is a reason why you're all stressed out. It's because you have forgot God. God gives us hope. And J.C. Penney, for him, this was the changing point. Not only did he become well in his case, and this doesn't happen all the time, but in his case, he became very successful and set up the most successful, one of the most successful retail businesses ever to exist. But it all got started with what? Hope. Hope in God. Hope in Christ. And you know I, we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, how do I live? You live how? By faith. By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you want life? Yes, I heard it. If you want life, life is found in Christ and fixed upon him, his kingdom and his righteousness. And if you want to wallow around in death, despair, having worry strangle you, then you will not pursue Christ well. Let me give you another just very practical I've I've been doing this. Pouring out your heart in prayer. Not only do you need to renew your mind with truth, you've got to pour out your heart in prayer. Now, this does not mean you hit a panic button mode and and you just start rattling all these things. I've got rubber in my yard, my car is broken, and and that's probably more complaining to God than connecting with God. What you do, though, is you just calmly, honestly, Present your needs, your hurt, your issues, whether it be people or problems or financial issues, and you just give it to God and you pour it out in prayer. Nor is it Eeyore type recitations like, woe's me, there I am. And, and some people, I mean, they, they do this so long, they just kind of look like this. You know, and no, you honestly, genuinely pour out your heart before God. Tell him about it. What is it that's got you in knots? What is it? I want, maybe you write it down. You get it up here. Your job? Relationship? Someone after your lunch? Someone out to destroy you? What is it? Your kid? What is it? You tell this to God. You pour out your situation to him. For me, I find it helpful to go running and talk to God. There's no one there and no one hears me except a stray dog or two. Okay? And they just bark at me. And keep going. Or go for a walk. It's about getting the blood going and just going and talking to God. Now, I want you to know that presenting your needs to God does not mean that he's going to do as you've asked. God isn't like, hey, how can I manipulate God to make him do what I want? Okay, the Gentiles think that way. Humanistic religion, that's how it works. No. Like, for instance, Jesus, he prayed three times. Father, may this cup be removed from me. Did it happen? No. 
What he did say, though, yet not my will but yours be done. That's what prayer does. Prayer aligns us with the the will of the Father even when we don't really like what's coming down the pike. Let me give you another guy, Paul. Three different times he asked that this thorn of the flesh, this angelos in the flesh, and it likely was a person. We like to think it was an eye problem or not, but the angelos, angel, messenger, it's used 188 times in the Greek New Testament. Why would we think that it's not messenger person? It was likely people, people probably that had been going to Corinth, that were just tearing him up and saying wrong things about him and treating him poorly. And he prayed three times that God would remove it, and yet God didn't. Why? Because my power is perfected through your weakness. Grace will be manifested through your weak life as you trust me. So don't do this. Don't go and put on your little house a little plaque that says, why pray when you can worry? Okay? What you want to do is, why worry when we can pray? When worry hits, when you walk out those doors or this afternoon or tomorrow, let's answer it with what? Worry here. That is our indication. Let's pray. God, here I am. I'm talking to you about this five minutes ago, but I'm still stressed about this. When worry knocks, let's answer it with prayer. And let me give you, let me just tell you one other thing. Pressure is inevitable. Prayer is a choice. Just like trials. Trials are coming. You're either in one, coming out of one, just going into one. Pressure is inevitable. Prayer is a choice. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And let me give you finally then, we just move forward by faith. We move forward. We keep walking forward, trusting God every step of the way. See, fear can paralyze us, but faith allows us to move forward. And this is a hard lesson to learn. And yet, I have found great saints who have walked with God for many years. This is what keeps them moving. I remember uh, Dr. Dwight Pentecost several different times up in Colorado. I've hung out with him. And he's been here three different times. He's one of the foremost New Testament scholars. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, listen, you can't be a person, a pastor, or a professor for so long without having your share of heartaches, headaches, and hurt. How is it that you keep going? How do you do it? And this is what he told me. He told me that, quote, that God has a plan and a purpose, and he believes so strongly in the sovereignty of God and that his will is being accomplished, that he can trust him, he can move forward. It's interesting, several years ago, I was talking with one of our elders when we were driving back from an elders meeting, and we were talking about the subject of people under great amounts of pressure, and I asked him, just, hey, how do you make it? How do you go through your share of difficulties? And this is what he told me. He says that God always works things out, and that there is no problem he can't resolve. You see, it is in trusting God that we find the peace of God. And some of us, we're addicted to worry. It is the defining feature of our life. That means that you will have to change how you live by now seeking Christ and his kingdom first. I mean, you're going to, whether it be the alcoholic husband or the wayward child or the person that's after you and trying to make your life misery, we need to develop patterns of seeking him first. See, life isn't just a straight line of just one blessing after another and then you just end up in heaven. Ha! Life is um, difficult and challenging. It's like one switch back after another. And just when you think you're making another progress, and there's something else that happens. And every once in a while, there's an avalanche. And yet, 
God doesn't just come in and like, oh, no, <gasps> another mess. And he tries to help you kind of clean it up. He's there every second. He's in the midst with you. He's into every detail. And what Jesus is saying is we can trust him. You see, it's our faith in God that will allow us to overcome our fears in life. Friends, this is how he wants us to live. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this amazing passage. For many, it's a favorite in the New Testament. But Lord, you desire that for all of your children, this be the reality. That we, walking through life, difficult though it may be, we are trusting you and finding you to be faithful. So, Father, for the times that we have allowed worry and anxiety to move to unhealth, to even sin, we just lay that at the foot of the cross like we do all sin. And, Lord, we confess we need you. And, Father, I pray that you would renew our perspective. Give us great faith and strength in you. And may we give a testimony to the world that Jesus is alive and well, and he lives within us, and we are trusting him. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.